0: see you all. And Dennis and Chris, thank you for, for sharing that. I want to welcome you this morning on campus, but also online. Thank you for joining us as well, wherever you may be this morning. And uh, just to echo just how God is working and when, when God has glorified, these ministries grow. And to see Unchained, which launched about a year ago, doing so well, to see uh, lives impacted. And these would be uh, people that may not necessarily step foot into New Hope Church, but God is working in these ministries happening during the week. And then to see another extension of that for women with Chris's leadership and uh, would you just be praying for this new ministry as they get started and really they are in the trenches working with people and working in messy situations, but man, that's where God is at, and that's where he's working to impact and change lives. So very exciting things that are going on. Uh, if you would, please grab your Bibles this morning. We're going to be in the Gospel of John, so whether a paper version or digital, whatever you uh, have with you this morning, I want to share another piece of exciting news. We've been, uh, for several months now, been praying and, and seeking God's heart for uh, leadership, and, and, and we have several ministries at New Hope Church, and, and leadership is so essential to helping ministries move forward and you just saw that with Dennis and Chris up here with the Unchained Ministry and we've been praying for that with women's ministry and uh, just seeking God's heart of who is this next person that you have to help us lead this ministry forward to the next stage and he didn't bring us one but he brought us two which we're very excited about. I want to introduce to you just by slide there Sue Malam and Deb Marley and um, absolutely let's applaud. Sue has uh, agreed and just in God's prompting in her life to step forward as leader of women's ministry and we couldn't be more excited about that and, and for her leadership for this important ministry and Deb Marley stepping in as her right hand uh, administrative assistant but really they are partners in leadership with a heart passion to continue to see uh, our mission of helping women in all different stages of life, wherever women may be, to find and follow Jesus. And so I'm excited for the future of women's ministry and their leadership of it. So thank you both for stepping into leadership uh, with that. All right. So hey, June, uh, John, hopefully you're there now. We're in a sermon series called The Twelve, and I hope you've enjoyed it. We have been diving into... The lives of these twelve disciples. Who who are these guys, and and where did they come from? What's their backstory that Jesus would call these people and to have them step into this time of 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 ministry with Jesus, and then to see how he changed them, and then sent them out to change the world. And the big idea—I just mention this every week—to keep it fresh in our mind: if God can use these people, we're all candidates. We're all candidates to be used by him to make a difference in the world. And I hope that encourages you and excites you because this is something that he is inviting all of us to to make an eternal impact in the lives of someone else. I tell you, and I've said this before, it took me about three years before it ever dawned on me that God could use a person like me. Because I just figured that was for other people. But that's not true. He can use any of us. And it's not even the gifted, it's just the willing Say, God, I'm willing to lean into you, to walk with you, and to surrender my life to you, and for you just to step in and to take leadership and lordship over my life and to use my life in a powerful way. That's where it begins, and that's how it works. And that's what these guys did. So, so far, we have covered, just by way of review, Peter and Andrew, James, John, Philip and Nathaniel. So we've covered uh, half of it. This is number seven today. So more than uh, now half of the disciples. You can always go back, of course, and check out their stories and past messages on the website or the Facebook page. Today, as you see in your bulletin, hopefully you have on the back page there uh, for fill in the blanks. We're going to be uh, talking about a guy whose rep- reputation precedes him. Today we're talking about Thomas. And here's some fast facts about Thomas just to kind of get us going on him. First off, uh, he also goes by the name Didymus. And and Didymus means literally twin. And so we can infer that Thomas had a a twin. The scriptures don't tell us uh, who the twin was, boy, girl. Uh, We we don't know, but we can uh, sort of assume that he is one of a twin there. And also, as I just mentioned, his reputation. He is famous for being the doubter. You've heard the expression, quit being a doubting Thomas. Maybe you've said that before. This is somebody who, aside from Judas Iscariot, Thomas' reputation among the 12 disciples is probably one of the worst. But I'm going to make a case today. I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's fair in terms of how we, per- we portray him. Because the truth is, Thomas was one of the most dedicated, loyal, and loving of the disciples to Jesus. We can learn a lot from a guy like Thomas. And so hopefully, again, you're there in John and ready to look at some different passages. Thomas's story is told in three different scenes. Three different scenes give us a snapshot of who he was. And so I want to begin in John chapter 20. So you can turn there, John chapter 20, and we're going to begin in the main scene, the, the, the big one, the famous one, if you will, where he gained his reputation as a doubter. We're going to start there on that one. Now, just to give you some background here, we're going to be picking up in verse 19 as you're turning to John chapter 20. But background-wise, Jesus has just been arrested, crucified, and laid in a tomb. And the disciples are confused and angry. There's emotional, they're emotionally a train wreck. They're, they don't understand the script in terms of why God has allowed this and why Jesus, who they thought was the Messiah and the Savior, is now gone. And so they're scrambling with all their emotions with this, with this scene here in terms of what's going on. But three days later, Sunday, Mary's there. And, Mary, and Jesus is alive and resurrected and shows himself to Mary. Mary goes back to Peter and John who run to the empty tomb. They don't see Jesus, but they see the tomb is empty. There's enough sort of swirling and going on with these guys, the remaining 11 disciples, that, that, that they're, it's hard to quantify just all the emotions that they're feeling, confusion, sadness. But maybe what Mary said is true in anticipation, We get to now Sunday night, Sunday night of Resurrection Day. The disciples are still in Jerusalem. They're still in the city, but they're scared. You can imagine them. They're in a locked room, maybe just a couple candles just to keep the room dark. They're talking in hushed tones with each other. And that brings us now to verse 19. It says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. And he said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands inside. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now I highlighted some words in red here because I want to highlight the emotional whiplash that these guys are going through. They're, they're first in a room completely entrenched in fear for what's going on and really for their lives. Jesus comes, shows up, talks to them. It's, it's him. It's not a ghost. I mean, it's, it's him. And then they move to being completely overjoyed. I mean, these guys, it's hard to quantify again, just all the emotions that they're feeling. Now, here's what we do know. At least one of the disciples, Thomas, is not there. For whatever reason, the text doesn't tell us he's not in the room to have this moment where Jesus showed up and showed himself. And so, now, I'm just going to share with you my opinion. So take it for what it's worth. My opinion is that Thomas, because of how God wired him, his personality, if you will, was so wrecked and so overloaded with grief at the death of Jesus that he was not in a position and in a place to be in community with others. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Like when you just get hammered with something— you you almost just have to just isolate. You almost have to just pull away. I'm not saying it's the right thing to do, but emotionally, that's where you're at. That's where you're at and you're just trying to, to keep breathing and handle the grief. Now, that's my opinion about Thomas. I might be wrong. But the reason I say that is for a couple reasons. First, it's only Sunday night. It's only been three days. I mean, a matter of a collective of hours since Jesus' crucifixion everything grief-wise that Thomas is feeling is very fresh and raw. It hasn't been weeks and months. It hasn't been that at all. And he's still in shock. I also want to make the case today that Thomas, our friend Thomas, is like this lovable character right here. When you think of Thomas Eeyore, this this is just part of how God's made him this is this is who he is he is somebody that bends toward melancholy you're going to see this in just a moment dark demeanor if you will he's somebody that bends toward pessimism he always expects the worst now those feel very negative but let me give you a positive now he's also extremely loyal He is somebody that will, he will never disband you. He will never step away. His type is a person to stew on things, to reflect on things, to be maybe an introvert and to isolate. But at the same time, he is somebody who will always stand by your side and loves very deeply. Now, to demonstrate that, I want to take you to the two other scenes. We'll come back to this first scene in John 20. But I want to show you more of his personality in two other scenes very quickly. Flip to in your Bible, if you would, now to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. This is our next scene. Now, in this scene... Jesus is doing ministry, and he's in a, in a pocket of time where he is incredibly popular, and the masses are coming around him, and there's so much amazing things going on as Jesus is talking to the crowds, and he's doing miracles, and, and all this exciting things. Look with me at verse 40. Of John chapter, uh, I'm actually going to pick up in verse chapter 10, but I will be in 11, just the very end of 10. It says, Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. And here he stayed, and many people came to him, and they said, Though John never performed a miraculous sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. Again, you're seeing this scene, this exciting moment of ministry, but in this moment, this interruption showed up. Not a surprise to Jesus, that is, but an interruption showed up. Now flip over to John chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. Now Lazarus, this probably rings a bell, was a friend of Jesus. Somebody that, that they spent time with. When Jesus was in, uh, in Jerusalem, he would go and stay at Lazarus' home. Uh, Lazarus, Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, were there. They were all very close. And Mary and Martha send word that their brother is very sick. Let's keep going now, but jump to verse 4. It says, When, he, when Jesus, that is, heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now the disciples, they also would have known Lazarus. All of them, the 12 disciples, Jesus, to hear that he was sick would have been sad news. They all would have emotionally felt that. But also, the disciples are really happy with Jesus' game plan. They don't want to go to Jerusalem. They don't want to make that trip. They're happy to stay right where they're at. We say, well, why is that? Well, let me show you this map here real quick. If you look to the the right there, Bethany, that's where Lazarus lived. It's only two miles to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And you can see, and this plays an important role in the last week of Jesus' life. But here's what the disciples know. That the more Jesus got popular and the more lives were being impacted, simultaneously the increase of hatred from the religious establishment for Jesus kept growing and growing and growing. As the crowds grew, so their animosity toward him. They despised Jesus. They rejected Jesus. They wanted nothing to do with him. They were in a place now in this passage. By this time, they're looking to kill Jesus, And their epicenter is Jerusalem. So the disciples are like, we're happy not to go to Jerusalem. We're happy to stay away from Jerusalem because this is going to end bad if we end up going there. And this highlights, by the way, just a principle I can't pass by without mentioning. And it's your first fill in the blank. It's this idea. The more you love and the more you serve Jesus, the more opposition you will face. Wouldn't it be nice if the fill-in-the-blank said the more you love Jesus and the more you serve him, the better and easier life gets? Wouldn't it be nice if we could fill-in-the-blank with something else that said, you know, it's just, it's gonna it, it gets easy or it's something that, you know, just, just whatever sort of we, we personify that, that God is my cosmic vending machine, that his job is to make me healthy, happy, and all of that. But that's not what we see in Scripture. The more you lean into Jesus— the more there is warfare, there is spiritual opposition that will come at you. And we see this principle in Jesus' ministry as well, and we see it in this scene here. So Lazarus is six, Jesus parks it wherever they're at, and he's like, we're not going to go there, and the disciples are okay with that. Let's keep going in verse seven. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Now, everything we talked about, this would have gotten their attention. They're about to protest. They said, but Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there? Now, finally, Jesus is going to be very blunt with them about what's going on. Jump to verse 14. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Okay. Now, at this point, Thomas speaks for the very first time. These are the first words we ever hear from Thomas in terms of the gospel account. And he's about to give a rousing speech. Look with me at verse 16. Then Thomas called Didymus said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. There you go. How is that for rallying the troops? Right? This is now you're seeing Eeyore in action, right? Because the optimist would have said, let's go. We can do this. And not just because we can do this, but hey, do you ever notice who's on our team? We got Jesus. Like this is going to be okay because he's here with us. And so let's go to Jerusalem and let's see what God wants to do here and, and how Jesus wants to work. But that's not what he says. He says, you know, here we go. Most likely to die. I mean, this is, this is him and this is his perspective. This is, he's the giant rain cloud that You know, just dumps on everybody here. But don't miss this. Even though he bends to that personality, he'll go with Jesus. You know what else it says? He'll die with Jesus. Don't miss that. He loves Jesus so much. He meant that. Let's go and let's die with him. Jump now to verse 14 for our third and final scene. At this point, we're at the Last Supper. We're hours away from Jesus being arrested and ultimately crucified. It's the Passover meal. And there, Jesus is giving instructions. He's he's also giving promises. It's it's a wonderful passage, John chapter 14, to read through. And in this setting, we also have Thomas show up again. Look with me at verse 1. It says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. This is Jesus speaking. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Now, this confuses the disciples here, and so Thomas speaks up, and he asks an honest question, and I'm so glad that he did. Now we're in verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And now Jesus gives his famous response, verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So here we get again, this snapshot, a, a person who is melancholy, leans toward uh, pessimism, if you will, but also has this loyal love for his Savior, for his Lord, somebody that he cares about. You see, as we see here in this last passage, jesuss or excuse me, Thomas's worst fear is being separated from Jesus. That's what he doesn't want. Now let's go back to John chapter 20. As we wrap up, the first scene that we talked about that we didn't finish, John chapter 20. We're going to pick up in verse 24 and hopefully seeing these other two scenes and getting a sense of his uh, personality will help us now understand more as we finish up this passage. John 20, verse 24. It says, Now Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when he came. And so the other disciples told him now in the Greek here this is repeatedly like this isn't just a one time statement this is like over and over again they're 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 trying to convince him as he's having this conversation with him so the other disciples told him repeatedly we have seen the Lord we have seen the Lord they're just they're they're so excited and they're trying to convince Thomas it's true Now, Thomas is somebody, again, sad personality, somebody who's pessimistic. These guys are in a good mood. He's still in a bad mood. Remember, he wasn't there. He didn't see Jesus. He didn't have access to that evidence. And for Thomas, he can't downshift emotionally that quick. Let's keep going in verse 25. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. Now, of course, these are the words. These are the words that forever tattoo Thomas as the doubter, as the person who, who was slow to believe, if you will. But I think, again, we're too hard on him. I want you to think about it for a moment with me. Thomas didn't have the evidence the other disciples had the week before. See, I'm convinced that something like the, the resurrection demands evidence. There should be evidence for the resurrection if it's true. The other disciples got it a week before. So they're rallying and excited because they had the chance to interact with him. They had the chance to slap him on the back. They had the chance to, to have that conversation with him. Thomas didn't. And for Thomas, his perspective is, look, Great, guys, but I mean, dead people stay dead. They don't walk around town. Like, you're asking me to believe something far too big. Thomas just needs the opportunity to have evidence just like the other disciples had. And so for him to say, look, I will not believe it unless I have evidence, I would submit to you is a fair assessment. Let's keep going in verse 26 because Thomas will have his moment. It says, a week later, so now we're the next Sunday evening, from his first appearance to the disciples, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, and he's going to repeat the words that Thomas said the week before, or previously. He said, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and reach out your hand, and put it into my side. Stop doubting, and believe. What's Jesus doing here? I mean, some can read it that he's scolding Thomas, the finger wag. I don't read it that way. I think he's providing evidence in a gentle, loving way. I think he's coming to Thomas and saying, Thomas, I love you. And I know who you are and I know what you've gone through. And I know the emotions that you're sorting through, but it's me. And I'm here. And so I invite you to examine for yourself that it's really me. And Thomas does. And this is a beautiful thing. Here's your next fill in the blank. And this is for us this morning. That the Lord can handle your doubts. And he can answer your questions. He can handle your doubts. And he can answer your questions. And I want to submit to you this morning that if you're here today and you're a person that that you have doubts and you have questions that's, that's, good, that's okay. Sometimes in Christianity, there's this idea that to doubt is this you know, taboo thing. Like don't ever have a doubt and surely don't ever express your doubts that you might be struggling with. We just keep that all inside. And I don't, I don't think that's good or right. But if you're a person where the, those nagging questions that you have and those doubts that you might struggle with, that that, that that is a real thing. And that's something that all of us go through. But here's what I would submit to you is not okay. See, while it's okay to have the doubts, and it's okay to have the questions, it's not okay to allow the doubts and the questions push you and pull you away from him. That's where it gets dangerous. And I want to share with you just just an example. Um, There was was a guy, or is a guy, um, I read this book in grad school, a guy named Thomas Nagel. It's called The Last Word. And I'm somebody, I love philosophy and and whatnot. And this guy, Many regard him as one of the top philosophers who are alive today. There's many great dead philosophers. But in terms of who's alive today, Thomas Nagel would be on the Mount Rushmore of philosophers. He writes anything, everybody's going to buy it and read it, who's in that, that arena. And Nagel wrote this book called The Last Word, which is fascinating. See, what he's doing here without getting too deep in the weeds, is that Nagel is wrestling with the question. Now, he's a philosopher. Keep that in mind. He says, what reasons do I have to trust reason? Logic, thinking. What, what reasons do I have to trust that? Now, as a philosopher, I think that'd be pretty important. And so, what he does is he looks at the primary worldviews that exist today. He takes things like naturalism or materialism. He takes postmodernism. He takes theism. Those are the primary three. And he says, Look, which one best gives me the evidence? And he starts going through each one. And I won't sort of ruin the ending in terms, but but I will say this that with uh, postmodernism, he's like, Well, that's dumb. That doesn't work. And naturalism, which is his favorite one, he's an atheist. He's a naturalist. He just believes the physical world is all there is. He wants that to be true, but he finds that that doesn't work either. So finally, he gets to theism. And he begins to unpack theism. And he says something at the end that people just don't do in academia and also people don't really do in life. And that is he puts his cards on the table and he's actually very honest. He's very honest about where he's at when it comes to God. Check out his quote here. This is from page 139. He says, I want atheism to be true. And I'm made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I I, I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. What's he doing? He has a presupposition. At the beginning, I don't want there to be a God. And then he'll look for what evidence he wants to find to fit that worldview, that paradigm that he has set. I want a world where there's no God, and so I'm going to fill in all the gaps around it, if you will, with my own thoughts and ideas to to support that from the beginning. That kind of doubts and questionings is not helpful. But a person who, in contrast, has doubts and questions and yet leans into God with them, that's a beautiful thing. And that's why I want to encourage more than anything else this morning that if you're in a place this morning where you're struggling with that, that you lean into God because God can answer your questions and he can address your doubts. There are answers. There are uh, resources that can help you sort through some of the questions and doubts. It's just a matter of getting them and finding them. If you're here this morning and you struggle with doubt, you're in good company. Abraham, he struggled. Moses, Sarah, Jeremiah, David, Elijah, John the Baptist, Peter, and a whole lot more were also people who struggled with doubt. But here's the key. They never let it pull them away from God, They lean into God with their questions to get answers to help them. So maybe this morning you're, you're a person that you have um, intellectual doubts or questions. Maybe for you it's, it's things like, if, if God is so big and he's good, then explain to me childhood cancer. And explain to me all these things in the world that just make no sense if there's a sovereign God sitting on the throne. Help me with that. Or maybe for you, it's an emotional uh, thing. That Lord, if you're a loving God, why am I going through a season of life where you feel really absent? Why does it feel like you're just the absent landlord? I mean, I know you're in charge and you're God, but I just, I don't see you anywhere. I don't feel you anywhere. It's a dry time right now. Where are you? That's a legit question that can bring legit doubts. Or maybe for you, it's more circumstantial in, in terms of, Lord, are, are you going to provide? Lord, I'm looking at the news, and I'm looking at the times and the economy, and I'm looking at all these things, and, and I am genuinely afraid. And God, are you going to show up? Are you going to be in my tomorrows to walk with me and to help me and, and, and provide? Whatever the circumstances you may be going through. These are all the types of things that we as people go through. But again, the encouragement is to take those and lean into God with them. That's the encouragement this morning. This is what Thomas did as well. Because here's the thing. God has provided everything you and I need to walk with him faithfully. He's provided all you need. We just have to trust him and walk with him. And Thomas did that. I love how Thomas's stories end. His final words, we're still in John 20, verse 28, last word, last verse. Thomas said to him, this is Jesus now, my Lord and my God. And he never looked back. Thomas never looked back. He was he was faithful. What we learn from church history, if you will, is that, that Thomas uh, was a faithful minister there in Jerusalem in the early church and beyond. He's somebody that, uh, at least legend says, he went to India and, and served there and did ministry there, that he was martyred for his faith there in India. Uh, he was killed with a, a spear. But that's the story of Thomas. And so I'd like to invite the worship team to come on up if you would, please. And as they're coming and, and getting getting settled, I'd like to ask you, Dennis talked earlier about the connection card. If you could pull this out one more one more time. And on the bottom, on the front page there, you'll see a section where it says, my question is, and I would like to invite anyone, and you can make this anonymous or you can put your name on it, it, it doesn't matter. But if you have a question this morning, if, if you're somebody that there's just something going on and, and you just Sort of that, if I could just sit down across the coffee with God and just ask my question and I would get an answer back, my question to him would be whatever whatever that would be. Or maybe for you it's a doubt and you're in a place where you're like, I'm just really struggling with this, whatever that is. I want to invite you to put it on this connection card. And then when the service is over out in the lobby, there's a box there for those of us on campus, and you can drop that in the box there. If you're watching online this morning, you can participate too and just use the chat bar, and you can write in your question or maybe a doubt that you're going through. But for all of us, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take every single one of them, and this week I'm going to record a podcast episode that we'll release next Sunday. I'm going to answer every question that you have. I'll try. Every, every, every area, because well, here's what I think is what we're going to find is that you're not alone. And the question that you have, somebody sitting over here has the same question. And somebody who's watching online in another state has the same question. But regardless, we're going to take all these questions, we're going to pull them together, and I'm going to address every single one of them because everyone deserves to be responded to. I don't want you stuck. I want you moving forward in your faith, leaning into him with the questions that you have. And so I'd invite you to participate with that. We're going to pray now and then we're going to respond and worship to who he is, to how amazing God is. I want to remind you we'll have people up here uh, to pray with you this morning. And so if there's something that is on your heart to to pray about, whether it's for you or maybe something uh, someone that you know or another situation that you know about, I invite you to come up and you can pray uh, with those folks. But would you please join me and let's pray together and then we're going to worship. Father, this morning we thank you for the example of Thomas and we thank you that... That though he's dubbed the doubter, he was really just eager for evidence. And I pray for every one of us here that for the moments, and maybe it's not today, maybe it'll come in the future, but we, we live with these nagging questions and we struggle with maybe real doubts. I just pray that we wouldn't be stuck there and that we would find victories lean, lean into you with our questions and with our doubts because you can handle them, and you can help us through them. And so, Father, I uh, just pray over that for everyone here and also watching online this morning. And this morning, we tell you that we love you, and we worship you because you are so worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Thanks, Pastor Ryan.
0: Please stand to join
1: us with house of the Lord. You know, as, um, as Ryan brings up, challenges and doubt and, and these, these things that really can can very in a real way challenge our faith um, there is joy as a believer in God there's joy in the house of the Lord and that's how we're going to end our worship service today is singing out how joyful and good it is to be in the house of the Lord. God Who heals, we sing to the God who saves, we sing to the God who always makes a way. Because He hung up on that cross, then He rose up from that grave. My God, still rolling stones away. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Now we're on and free We are forgiven Accepted Redeemed by His grace Let the house Of the Lord sing Praise We are the beggars Now we're royalty We were the prisoners Now we're on and free We are forgiven Accepted The Lord, there's joy in the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise, there's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place, and we won't be quiet. We're gonna shout out your praise, there's joy in the house of the Lord, there's joy in the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet. God. A reminder, there will be folks available to pray this morning if you'd like to do that. Otherwise, God bless. Have a wonderful week.